You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. Hopefully you have your Bibles this morning. Hopefully you brought them with you. If not, there should be a blue one right there around you somewhere. Uh, If you take that and open up to Exodus chapter 4, we're going to be closing out the chapter this morning. Uh, Verses 18 to 31. We're going to read those as we go through uh, this morning. Uh, And so as you're opening up to Exodus chapter 4, once again, that's the second book of the Bible. Uh, Let me have a quick word of prayer. Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I I, I thank you for what we read this morning. Lord, so often it is the little things that we need, but are often the things that we overlook. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet with us this morning. That you would use me just to speak your word. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would equip us. But I pray that you would send us out to be your church, to make you known. And so, Lord, we give this time, and I pray that you'd use me, and that you would speak through me, that you'd speak in our hearts today, Lord, that you would shape us, change us, transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's really good to see you all this morning. I pray that you are doing well. I'm going to be a little bit transparent this morning, so no judging me. Uh, All right, so uh, some of you know this, but don't judge me on this, but uh, it is the way it is. Uh, Way back when, when I was in high school, and so that is uh, 20... 25 years ago I graduated, I think, something along those lines, Uh, something, I think it was 25, anyways, I graduated in 99, you could do the math, Uh, but uh, way back when in high school, uh, I went to school all the time, I wasn't allowed to miss school, I don't know if you grew up that way, Uh, the only way that I was allowed to miss school is if I had like an eyeball hanging out of my face, Uh, if I had a 100 degree fever, I still went to school, I wasn't allowed to stay home, Uh, I grew up where my mom would hey, the neighbor has chicken pox, go play with them. That, that's how I grew up, right? So I didn't miss a lot of school. Literally, if I missed six days in the school year, that would be a lot, right? Uh, so I didn't miss a lot of school. And so you would think that by me being there all the time, that I would have good grades, right? You would think that. Well, if you thought that, you would be wrong. All right, because uh, I didn't have great grades. I graduated on time, so I had good enough grades, but my grades weren't all that great. And here's why: I didn't really apply myself to schoolwork. Uh, I passed math class only because I played football. I'm not kidding on that. Four years in high school, I passed math every single year because I played football. Only reason. And so I didn't apply myself the way that I should have. Now, don't get me wrong; I did a little bit but not as much as I should have, right? And so, as I said, my grades are okay, but not where they could have been. Then I went to college, right? My first semester in college, my GPA was around a 3.2 or a 3.4, which is almost straight A's, right? Now, when you go from where I was in high school uh, to straight A's in college, that's a huge, huge difference, right? And I carried an A or B throughout college except for one class, and that's basic statistics, right? I failed basic statistics at Bloomsburg University. Uh, It wasn't because I was there every single day. I was. I did all the homework. Basic statistics in me just did not work. It's like oil and vinegar. It just doesn't mix together, right? And so I failed that class. But other than that, I got A's and B's. Then when I went for my degree in pastoral ministry, I never got lower than an, than an A on any assignment or test that I ever took, right? So here's my question. How can I go from eh in high school to like A's and B's in college and doing very well? Well, part of it was when I got to college, I started studying things that I liked, psychology, 
sociology, things like that, that I actually enjoyed. Not like chemistry. I hate chemistry. I don't know why I need to know chemistry. And then I got into pastoral ministry, and I loved the Bible, right? And so it was things that I enjoyed. But here's the other part of it that helped my grades when I got into college. You know what it was? I paid for it. Literally, I paid for it, right? I had no grants. I had nobody else giving me money. The only people that paid for my college was me and Sally May. If you don't know who Sally May is, that was the organization that gave me the loan that I had to repay. And so I paid every cent for college. And so when I got into college, I'm like, I'm kind of paying for this. I have to do a little bit more effort behind it than I did in high school. And you know what I mean by that. Because that aspect, that principle is true in just about every area of our lives. That when you go through life, things are different when you have a part to play in it. Because what's this saying? When there's skin in the game. You've all heard that, right? When there's skin in the game, that's when you're, you're more engaged, you're more alert, you're more into it. If there's nothing that connects you or lines up with whatever is going on, then guess what happens? You and I, we don't care as much. We don't try as much. We kind of just float around and do our own thing. And you know that idea because we've all been there. We've all done that. This morning, we're in the last section of chapter 4 of Exodus, mainly because of one sentence that the Lord had stand out to me a couple months ago. But what I want you to grab this morning is this. When your heart believes that God does not know you, your life will show that you don't know God. Let me say that to you again. When your heart believes God does not know you, your life shows that you don't know Him. But the opposite is true as well. That when you know in your heart that God knows you, that He loves you, that He is concerned for you, then that's going to change everything else about your life. And so I have two points for us this morning. Obedience is not equal smooth sailing and a family reunion. And so let's finish chapter four this morning. Uh, obedience doesn't equal a smooth sailing. Now, so far, we've seen Moses think he is the deliverer. We saw that a couple weeks ago. We saw that Moses killed the man. We talked about Moses running away to Midian. We saw that Moses herded sheep for 40 years. We've seen that Moses got married, had a family, that he's talked to God in a burning bush. We've also seen over the last two weeks that Moses came up with every excuse under the sun not to do what God has asked him to do. And finally, Moses got to the point where he just simply said, because God, I don't want to do it. Just send someone else. And so we could easily say that Moses has been through a lot already. Now, much of it is his own doing. I agree. But it's still been a lot. And so last week we left off with this. God going, Moses, you're going back to Egypt and you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses gave every excuse under the sun. But I didn't tell you, we didn't see how Moses answers God's call. Is Moses going to do what God asked him to do or not? Well, most of you have seen the movie, all right? And you know how that ends, that Moses actually does answer God's call. And that's what we see here. We start to see in verses 18 through 26. And what we read here in verse 18 is very important. We read this. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. You may not get this, but that verse is huge. It's huge. Because Moses goes back to Jethro. Now picture this. Moses has just been talking to God in the burning bush that wasn't burning up. And I don't know how that ends. Like that has to be like coming down off an adrenaline high, right? Like I, I don't know how that ends. I don't know if God goes, okay, Moses, it's time to leave now. You're allowed to leave. I don't know how that works. But God leaves the burning bush. Moses leaves the burning bush. And Moses goes, oh, now I have to go get the sheep, right? I go get the flock. And I'm going back to my father-in-law, Jethro. And he goes home and he does that. Well, why? Simply put this. Moses is going to do what God is asking him to do. And the first step in order for Moses to obey God is to go back home to his father-in-law Jethro. 
And in this is the huge principle that I want you to get. And it's very, very basic. And some of you might even say, Pastor, why, why even bring this up? Because it's often the basic things that we struggle with. It's the fundamentals that we struggle with. You see, we actually have to do what God is asking us to do. Did you know that? Maybe that's a surprise to you. Maybe you thought you only needed to know what God wanted you to do. Maybe you thought you only needed to memorize what God wanted you to do. Maybe you thought, well, we just get around and talk about what God wants me to do. No, actually what God wants you to do is actually do what he wants you to do. We don't just get to go, okay, Lord, I know you want me to do that, and then not do it. Imagine if, if I was still working at Wegmans. Thankfully, I'm not. But imagine if I was still working at Wegmans. 17 years after the fact that God made it clear to me that he wanted me to be a pastor. Do you think God would be pleased with me if I was not pastoring at all? Now, if I was pastoring and working at Wegmans part-time, that's a little bit different. I mean, not pastoring at all. God wouldn't be pleased with me. James tells us, and not me, the book of James tells us this in chapter 1, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And some of you know this. We know this. But yet it's one of those basic things, foundational things that we don't actually apply. And this is why the, the, Moses going back to his father-in-law is so huge because Moses, in light of all the excuses, in light of Moses going, I don't even want to do this, goes, I'm going to do it. He's actually doing it. And so here's what happens a lot of times. And, and I'm going to let you know on one of my fears, okay? So here we go. One of my fears. It's not just flying, right? It's flying, right? Pumpkin spice taking over everything, right? And here, here's an actual fear that I have for myself and actually for us as a church. My fear is this, that you on an individual level, that we on a corporate level together will know God's word, that we'll know it, that we will understand it. And you maybe even memorize it, but yet we don't do it. That's my fear. That we will know it, but we won't do it. That we won't practice it. And in that, we become like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. Where we know the Word of God, but we just don't live it out. We don't do it. And we become just like the Pharisees in the days of Jesus. You see, our end goal is not to go, I went to church and I learned something about God's Word. And I did nothing with it. Our goal is to, alert, is to learn God's Word, to worship Him, and allow Him to change us with His Word, and then for you to go and apply His Word to your life as you work it out. See, knowing enough, knowing is not enough. It's knowing and then doing it is what we need to be doing in our lives. This just comes to my mind. A couple of years ago, I was listening to a pastor, and uh, he said, he goes, I preached a, a sermon. He goes, well, of course a pastor preaches a sermon. You know that. He goes, but I preached a sermon. And he goes, everybody at the end of church told me it was such a great message. He goes, everybody leaving church, you go, oh, great message, pastor, great message, pastor. And then, so this is the, the following week. He goes, you all told me it was a great message last week. He goes, and then in the middle of the week, I started wondering if everybody told me it was such a great message. He goes, I wonder how many people actually applied the message. So you know what he did? He actually preached the same message the second week in a row. And he goes, you all told me it was such a good message. But my question is, did you actually apply it? Because did you apply it? Because our goal is not just to hear a good message or to memorize a scripture verse. It is to know God's word and then apply it and live it out in our lives. And so Moses goes back to his father-in-law and he asks for permission to go to Egypt. And you think, why is Moses, who's an 80-year-old dad, asking permission from his father-in-law to go back to Egypt? Well, not just his father-in-law, he's his boss. Remember, Moses tends the flock of Jethro. And so his father-in-law is his boss, and so he's doing the, the kind and respectful thing of going, hey, Dad, I'm going back to Egypt. I need somebody to cover for me. 
Like, you need to hire my replacement. So, so, you know, you're not shorted or anything along those lines. And so Jethro goes, fine, I got you on this. And so I'm going to read to you, right, verses 19. It's not on the screen, so you got to follow along with me. I'm going to read to you verses 19 to verse 23. Now, the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. And so Moses gets permission from his father-in-law, gets his family all ready, puts them on a donkey, and they start back to Egypt with the staff of God in his hand. So what's Moses doing here? He's obeying. He's obeying God. He's doing what God has asked him to do. But guess what happens when you and I start to obey God? When we start to obey God, we think everything is going to go absolutely wonderful. That everything is going to be like a freshly paved road. It's going to go nice and smooth because now I am obeying God. Everything is going to work out absolutely perfect. Well, if you think that, I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but it's not like that. Not like that at all. Following Jesus, I told you the other week, is like, being in a hurricane and getting hit by a flying cow. Told you that a couple weeks ago. Following Jesus is also not going on a freshly paved road, but it's like driving in northeast Pennsylvania in the middle of February, right? There are potholes all over the place, and some of them are like three feet deep, right? That things are just going to come up, and it's you're going to have to hit it. You're going to have to go through it because there's times when you're driving in February, like, do I hit the car or do I go over the pothole? Right? You go, pothole it is. Like, you have to go through this. Moses has three potholes that come up, right? And it just shows to us that obedience doesn't always mean smooth sailing because some of you think, well, if I'm obeying God, everything is going to go perfectly straight and smooth and well. Not the case, because notice what here happens here at Moses. As soon as he starts to obey God, in verse, 13, uh, verse 19, God tells Moses, he goes, Moses, all the men that wanted to kill you, they're all dead. Why does God tell Moses that? Why would you need to know that all the men that wanted to kill you are dead? Why would you need to know that? You would need to know that because you're sitting there going, wait a minute, I killed somebody 40 years ago. They wanted to kill me. Now God wants me to go back there. So if I go back there and those guys are still alive and they see me and they know me, realize who I am, remember what I did, what are they going to do? They're going to try to kill me. Do you think that that would add a little bit of stress to your life that there would be people wanting to kill you? We'd all go like this, right? And so here's a little bit of a pothole. As soon as Moses goes, okay, God, I'm going to obey you, he goes, there's people that want to kill me. So a little bit of difficulty, right? But God smooths that out really, really quick. So this is a small pothole. God goes, Moses, they're all dead. You don't have to worry about it. It's all, all good, all good. So a little bit, a little pothole, right? Everything works out. Well, then something else happens. And this is a little bit of a bigger pothole, right? And this is issue number two. And it's found here in verses 21 to 23. God says this to Moses about Pharaoh. He goes, I, God, will harden his, that is Pharaoh's heart, so that he'll not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Here's issue number two. God goes, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt, get my people out of there. Okay, God, I got that. So what's issue number two, roadblock number two? Guy goes, oh, Moses, Pharaoh's not going to let you leave with the people. So there's a little bit of, there's another speed bump that you have to hit. Like, this is going to be difficult because God goes, Moses, 
I'm actually going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, if you think about that, you go, well, that's not very nice of God. You need to trust me on this, that we're going to come back to this idea in a couple weeks. Because throughout the first part of the book of Exodus, we read a couple different things. We read that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. We read that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And then we just read other statements where it just said Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so we have the picture of Pharaoh hardening his own heart. We have the picture of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And we go, well, who hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? We're going to come back to that in a couple weeks when we see it again, all right? So not this morning. So your questions, just keep in your back uh, back of your head. We're going to come back to that. But God goes, Moses, he's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you take the people. It's going to be so difficult that you know what you're, you know you're going to have to do, Moses? You're actually going to have to tell Pharaoh that Israel is my firstborn son. And, it, and God is not talking about them being his firstborn son like in a natural way. It's just a picturesque expression of saying that Israel, the state, the nation, it has God's love and protection, that God is in charge of them. And he goes, Moses, you, you need to tell Pharaoh that if he doesn't let my kids go, my son go, that I'm going to kill his firstborn son. And so you would think things are going to go well because Moses is obeying. And Moses finally like, okay, Lord, let's go. Well, God, what about the people that wanted to kill me? Oh, they're taken care of. Oh, Moses also, by the way, Pharaoh's not going to let you go. It's going to be incredibly, incredibly difficult. Does that sound like smooth sailing to you? No, not at all. But then you get to the big potholes. I don't know if you've ever driven around Target around January and February, and the potholes are like four feet deep, you know, six feet wide, and you think it's going to swallow you, your vehicle, and your family, and probably your distant cousin because they're so big. You all know potholes that big, right? Because you've lived in Pennsylvania, right? Happens all the time, right? And so now we come to that size pothole. God is about ready to kill Moses. You're like, what? But yeah, because I'm going to read it to you in a second. God is just about to kill Moses. Do you think that's an obstacle? Right? Does that sound like smooth sailing? God, I'm going to do what you're going, you want me to do. Oh, but you're going to kill me, God. That doesn't sound like smooth sailing. So, we're going to read something here. Uh, we haven't read it yet, but I'm just going to tell you this before I read it to you. All right? We're going to read something, talk about something that is very weird, very strange. I don't have all the answers because Scripture doesn't give me all the answers, okay? But we'll do our best, okay? Verses 24 to 26, we read this. At a lodging place on the way, so Moses and his family are going, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. You, get, you got that. So they're at a hotel and God is about ready to kill him. But Zipporah, that is Moses' wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. And you go, the Bible tells us this? Yes. Yes, it does. Why? I don't know. We're going to try figuring it out. So I can tell by some of your looks, like, well, that's a little strange. Uh, it, it is. If you think it's strange and you're like, well, it's kind of uncomfortable to hear. You want to come up here and teach on it? It might be a little bit, might be a little bit different. So we read this and go, okay, wh wh what is poor doing? Why is she doing that? Why didn't Moses do it? Why is God about ready to kill Moses? So you see the weirdness, the strangeness in this. And we go, why? Well, we don't want to speculate uh, too much in Scripture when we're not told things, but let's see what do we actually know from this passage. Well, we know that God is about ready to kill Moses. We know that Moses did not circumcise his son. We know that Moses does not do the circumcision here for whatever reason because Zipporah ends up doing it and then taking the skin and touching Moses' feet with it. Okay, And we also know that Zipporah is this totally disgusted by it, right? So that is the information we do know from this passage. We don't know everything, but that's what we do know. 
And we go, well, Moses didn't circumcise his son. And you think, well, why, why is that important? Why does it even matter? It's important because of this. Circumcision is the sign of the covenant between God and his people, the nation of Israel. God, in the book of Genesis, so that takes place before all the things that we're reading here in Exodus, God said to Abraham, he goes, Abraham, the sign of the covenant that I'm making with you and your descendants is circumcision. All the males need to be circumcised on the eighth day of their born. So on, when you're alive for the eighth day, on the eighth day of your life, the males need to be circumcised. And that is the sign of the covenant between the nation of Israel and God. And God takes this so much serious that later on, a couple chapters later in the book of Genesis, God goes to Abraham and goes, if a male does not do this, if this is not done, that person will be cut off from the nation of Israel. Now that phrase cut off can mean one of two things, either put to death or literally just kind of like a banishment, a sending away, if you would, a shunning, if you would. And so God takes this very, very serious. And you know, why, why is it so serious? Because it's the sign of the covenant. I had the honor to do a wedding yesterday, which was nice. It was an outdoor wedding, but thankfully we went inside, right? Uh, so that was, was always good, right? And so at weddings, what happens, right? You have, you have one of these, right? This is a wedding ring. Yes, I just took it off my finger, right? Uh, this is a wedding ring. Why do we use wedding rings? Because the wedding ring is a sign of the vows that are be taken between the husband and the wife, correct? We know that. And so when a person's wearing a wedding ring, what is it a sign? It's telling everybody else that I'm married, that I've made vows to this other person, that it's a covenant between they and I and us and God. It's a sign of the vows of the covenant. So if somebody's not wearing their wedding ring, what can that say? And this is general. I know some people can't wear their wedding rings because of work, because it can get stuck on something and lose a finger. I got that. We're speaking generally here, okay? So if somebody, generally speaking, is not wearing their wedding ring, what is it saying? Well, I'm done with that person. I'm not keeping my covenant. I'm not in that covenant anymore with that person. That they're kind of done with them. And so circumcision, or the lack of circumcision, was very important to God because it was that sign of the covenant that he made with the nation of Israel. And so God is about to kill Moses because of this. But somehow, some way, Zipporah knows what is going on, and she knows what she needs to do. And so she literally circumcises her son. And so the question then becomes, why is God going to kill Moses after this? Well, here's why. God deals with his leaders stronger than others. You read James chapter 3. I'm going to be held to a much stricter judgment than you are. Did you know that? Because I stand and teach God's word. God's word tells me that I'm going to be held to a stricter uh, a judgment than somebody who wasn't in this position. And God does that with his leaders. That he holds them to a higher account of ability. And so God goes, Moses, you're going back to lead my people out of Egypt, but yet your son is not circumcised. Moses, you have not obeyed the law that I have commanded my people to keep, and you're going to be the leader. You're going to be the main person. And so, Moses, in order for you to be the leader that you need to be, the leader that I want you to be, you need to be in obedience and you need to do this so that your sons have the sign of the covenant. Because God holds his leaders to a higher accountability. And that's why God is doing this. And I'm going to say this, men, you need to have this and you need to grab hold of this fact that God has called you and I to be leaders. He has called you and I to be the spiritual leaders of our families, and he's called you to be the spiritual leaders of this church. And we have to take that serious, and our lives need to be where they ought to be. Not perfection, because God knows that we're not going to be per perfect, but that we need to be walking in obedience with God. And so the question then becomes, why didn't Moses circumcise his son? If he knew this was so important, why didn't he do it? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Verse 27 to 31. Let's read that and we'll unpack it. 
And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and also about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of Israel, of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. And so we see a family reunion right here. This weird event takes place, and the next thing you know, Moses and Aaron meet up. And this is the first time that we know of from recorded Scripture that Moses and Aaron have met in 40 years. Imagine that family reunion. They meet up on a mountain, and they're talking, and and Aaron's like, Moses, what have you been up to? I've been talking to sheep for 40 years. What are you up to? I got a wife, and I got two kids. Aaron, what are you doing? How's the family? Do you have a family? And you could just imagine the things that are going on in, in this family reunion. And Moses going, Aaron, you won't believe this, but I was talking to a burning bush. Hey, imagine like your long-lost brother after 40 years comes up to you and goes, hey, I was talking to God in a burning bush. How are you going to respond to that? Like, I don't know about that. But Moses and Aaron, and Moses like, God told me this and God showed me that. And it's just, it's just a wonderful thing that they're having in this family reunion. And so they meet up and they do their thing. And so both of them, Moses and Aaron, and they, they go back to Egypt. And in verse 29, so now from this point on, Moses is now in Egypt. You got me? He's now in Egypt. And so Moses and Aaron, they're in Egypt. And Moses meets the elders of the nation of Israel. And that's just not the old people. It's the leaders of the nation. And Moses meets with them. And you know what Moses tells them? Everything about the burning bush. He goes, I am sent me. And then you know what he does? He, he, he shows them the things, the, the, the snake and the, the stick and everything along those lines. It, it's fantastic. And I think I wonder, I wonder, and, and this, this may be bad of me, but you remember 40 years earlier, the, the Hebrew guy looked at Moses and goes, who made you ruler over us? Do you remember that? And I said, maybe that guy would still be alive in 40 years. Can, I wonder, and I was thinking about it this morning, if when Moses took the staff of God and threw it down on the ground for it to turn into a snake, if he found that guy in the audience that 40 years earlier, go, well, who made you, you know, king and prince and all that? And Moses did that to scare him. I would have done that, but maybe that's why God doesn't call me to these things, right? And so you see what's happening, right? You don't need a lot of words to this. Moses is back. He's telling me, God sent me. We're going to get out of this place and look at these signs. And then, and then you read this. They believed. What did God tell Moses was going to happen? Moses, you're going to go back. You're going to meet the the elders of the nation of Israel. And they're going to believe you. And what does Moses say right after that? Uh, What if? And he comes up with another excuse. And here we have God doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Moses is back. He's told them about God and about the staff and all of that. And they believed him. But it is actually the last verse of 31 that has stood out to me over the last couple months. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Verse 31. And when they, that is the nation of Israel, the elders, heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. You can't see it, but I have this verse bracketed in my Bible from many years ago. And I have a couple words next to it. And all it says is, we take it for granted. And what I refer to there is that we take the fact that God is concerned for us for granted. I want you to think for, with me for a minute. You do that on a Sunday morning? I think you can. Think with me for a minute. We're told that they heard that God had been concerned for them and that he had seen their misery. Why tell us that? Why tell us that God was concerned for them? Why tell us that God had seen their misery? 
Well, it's because of this. I don't think that the nation of Israel or Moses really thought that God had a concern for them. I don't think the nation of Israel or God thought or believed that God knew what was going on in their lives. I think, and I'll show this to you in a moment with Moses, but I think that Moses and the nation of Israel believed that, they, that God had forgotten about them. That they looked out over the bitterness and the hardships of their lives going, we've been, been, been praying for so long and we've been doing this and we've been doing that and God hasn't done anything and so God must have forgotten about us. God has no clue about what's going on with us in our lives. They believed in their hearts that God did not know them and what was going on. To go back to Moses and that strange event we just talked about a couple moments ago. I asked you, why would Moses not circumcise his child? Some scholars think it's because his wife was so grossed out by it that it wasn't accustomed to her people and her area that she didn't want Moses to do that to their children. And maybe that could be it, but perhaps, just maybe, it's because Moses felt like God didn't care about him anymore. And since Moses felt that God didn't care about him, that Moses didn't care about God. A couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about everything that went on in the life of Moses. And you remember the name he gave to his firstborn son, Gershom? Remember I told you that Sunday that Gershom means a foreigner in the land or an alien in the land. And I also told you that the name Gershom could actually be translated or mean banishment. And so that when Moses names Gershom, Gershom, it's given us a picture that Moses felt as though he was a foreigner in a land, that he was banished to this land. And I told you that Midian, there's nothing there, absolutely nothing. And so Moses feels like he is apart from God, away from God. That he had this idea, this belief, this feeling in the pit of his stomach that God, God you don't know about me. God, you don't have a concern for me. God, you don't know what's going on in my life or what has gone on in my life. And because you don't know those things, because you don't care about those things, I'm going to stop living in light of who you are and what you've said. I told you in the beginning, if, if we don't think God cares for us, then our lives are going to show that we don't care about Him. I think it was the same thing of the nation of Israel. The nation thought, well, God doesn't care about us, and so we'll just live like the Egyptians. And we know the nation of Israel lived like the Egyptians because you read the, the rest of this book and the books that tell us about what happened in their wilderness. Every time something hard came up, every time something difficult happened, what did the nation of Israel do? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's worship the gods of Egypt. I miss Egypt. Let's go back there. Every time it seemed like God didn't care about them, they left God. They wanted to leave God. But what do we see here? God goes, I'm concerned for you. I know about you. And because of that, what happens? They worship Him. They worship Him. You see, knowing, truly knowing that God is there and that He is concerned for you and about you changes the way we live our lives. Tom and I meet once or twice a month for our elders meeting. And uh, we talk about the church and things that have to take place and everything along those lines. And we met this past Wednesday. And one of the things he said to me was from a podcast that he had been listening to. And then he started playing it and it went so fast, I didn't even know what he was and I go, you listen to podcasts that fast? He goes, yeah. I go, I don't know how you do it. But, of course, he's younger than I am, so these things happen. Tom told me that in this podcast that he had been listening to, that the people in the podcast, they were talking about a group of people called the nuns. Not N-U-N, all right? Not, not the nuns. Like, I immediately pictured a nun in my mind. But this is none. Like, like no affiliate to a religion, like a nun. Like, nothing like that. N-O-N, right? E, right? N-O-N-E, right? Yeah, that's right. Right? None? N-O-N-E? 
I'm trying to spell on the spot, and it just doesn't work very well, right? So not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E, right? So you, you got that picture. And they're talking about the nuns. And this group of people are people who don't go to church or do anything with Jesus, okay? But if you ask them if they were Christians, they would say yes. This is the fastest growing group in America. That they will say yes... I am a Christian, but they have absolutely nothing to do with the church or with Jesus or even with daily spiritual practices like reading the Bible. But they would mark the box Christian. And in that, part of why they don't go to church or do anything that God calls us to is because they've actually got a new habit, a pattern of life where Jesus is not part of it. And so Tom and I were talking about that on Wednesday, and then I was reading this and studying and putting this together on Thursday, and I, I was just seeing in this, in, in, in Israel and Moses, and I saw a trap for you and I. And what that is, is this, that when you start to think that God does not know you, when you start to believe that God is not concerned about you or what is going on in your life, that is when you start to live like the nuns. That's when you and I start to live like we're Egyptians, you see, the Egyptians in Scripture is a picture of people living like the world, living opposite of what God has called them to do, living for themselves, living for their sin nature. Because if you ask Moses, you go, Moses, are you Jewish? You know what Moses would do? he goes, go, yes, I'm Jewish. Then you go, Moses, are you living like a Jewish man should be following the commands of God? Moses would go, no. Moses was a nun. N-O-N-E. He checked the box, but he, his life didn't show it. He wasn't living his faith out. He wasn't following the Lord. So here's my question. What about you? Would you say that you are a Christian? Would you mark that box off? But then in the next question where the box said, are you living in light of God and His Word and His commandments? Would you honestly check that box off? Because I, as I said, that is the group of people that are growing very, very fast in America. You see, you and I, we go through things. COVID. Where's God? Cancer comes back. God doesn't care about me. Marriage is struggling or broken. God's not concerned about me. I have to work and 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 I have to work because God's not helping me. And we go, God has no idea what's going on in my lives. And we start to get these ideas in our minds and in our hearts that God does not care, that He does not know about you or what's going on. And when these thoughts and these emotions start to get inside of our heads and our hearts, we start to think and live as though God doesn't care about us. Because let's be honest, if we don't think somebody cares about us, are we going to live in a way that shows we care about them? If we're honest, no. And so what happens? We get to the same place Moses was and in the same place nation of Israel was. God doesn't care about me, therefore I am not going to live my life like I care about God. And so we start to live like the world. We start doing different things instead of the things that God wants us to be doing. For example, and this, this goes so, so far out, but I only have a short period of time with you all on, on, on a Sunday morning. So I'll give you one example, and I'll give you the one example that you could all relate to this morning, okay? And that is going to church. You want to know how you can relate to that? Because you're at... Okay, good. You're with me, right? So the only reason I'm picking this example is because we're all here at church. But this, this goes so much deeper, right? So much deeper, do you know the more you miss church, the easier it is for you to miss the next church service? And remember, church is not 
the end all in all. It's having a relationship with Jesus Christ and following Him and obeying Him. But in that, we do need to realize that Scripture tells us this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so what does God literally tell us in His Word? He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. God calls His people to meet together regularly. He doesn't say meet together except during the summer so you can go do whatever. He doesn't say meet together only if there's no sports games. He doesn't say meet together only if, if there's no good sale, then go to church. No, He goes meet, meet together. He goes don't stop, don't give up meeting together like some are in the habit of doing. You live in a nation where less than 10% of the population go to church on any given Sunday. If you count the number of houses on your street, you will probably have less than six people that go to church on any given Sunday on your... You literally live in a nation that is living this verse out because the habit of most, even people who say they are Christians, is we don't go to church. Did you know that? I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people who say, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When was the last time you were in church? Nine months ago? Oh, they watch online. Actually, no, they don't, because that stopped in America too. And so God goes, don't stop meeting together. But you know what happens? We get in this habit, we get in this pattern where God doesn't care about me and what's going on in my life. And so I'm going to live as though I don't care about God. And I'm going to get into a new habit, a new pattern of doing things, living like the world. And it's then people look at us and hear us and see the actions we take and go, oh, they don't care much about God either. And you might be thinking my main point this morning is stop living like the world. And you know what? That's, an ama- that's a great point. Great point. But that's not my main point. My main point that I want you to see this morning is this. God's concerned for you. God has a concern for you. You may not think He does, but He does. God is concerned about you and what is going on in your life. And you could raise up any argument you want. Israel had over 400 years of bitterness and slavery, so they might have you topped. I don't know. God is concerned about your walk, your relationship with Him. I saw a study this past Thursday. According to it, only one in three Christians in America read their Bible every day. One in three. So Bob, would I be right to say that would be three in ten? Yeah. So I want you to look around, count ten people, and go, so that's about three people out of those ten that read their Bible every day. Now, just a study, not everybody, but it gives you something to think on. God is concerned about your work. If you're working too much, he's concerned about how work is going for you, the stress that it brings to you, maybe even the joy that it brings for you. God is concerned about your marriages and your relationships. God's concerned about you. He knows your fears. He knows your worries. He knows about your pains and your hurts, and he's concerned for you. And you see, Israel was surprised to hear that. And you might be surprised to hear that this morning because you sit there thinking that God doesn't know about you, that He's not concerned about you, but He is. He very much is. You might look at all the bitterness in your life right now like Israel did and go, there's no way God is concerned about me. Because if God cared about me and He knew this was going on, then He would do something. Well, guess what? 
God knew what was going on with the nation of Israel, and he was doing something about it. It's just that the nation of Israel didn't know that. And the same is said for you and I. That we think God doesn't care about us and that He's not doing anything, but it's in that point in time, that season, where God actually is working. God is doing things. It's just that you and I can't see it. See, God is concerned about you and knows you. And I pray that, that you get that this morning because it's those words that just stood out to me and I want you to understand that God concerned for you. And I, my prayer is that if you would just realize that, and take that to heart, that God really does know you and what is going on in your life, that it would change your heart like it does with the nation of Israel, like it does to Moses. And they go, no, God really does care about me. And because God does care about me and does know me, then I'm going to live my life to show that I care about God. Because He does love me. He does know about my miseries. He does know my fears. And in that, it's going to drive me to worship because that's what it does with the nation of Israel. They go, God, God he, he loves me? He knows about me? I didn't think He did. So let me worship Him. And what's worship? Well, you only got a couple minutes, so I'm going to tell you this. Worship is so much more than singing. The word worship means to give worth back to. Your worship is in everything you do. There is no secular and sacred. For the Christian, everything is sacred. There is no living your life Saturday, uh, Sunday afternoon to Saturday night in a different way than Sunday morning. Everything you do as a Christian is worship because it's giving worth back to God. The way you work at your jobs, the way you interact with your spouse and your kids and your grandkids and your nephews and your neighbors, the way you interact on social media, all these things, the way you handle your hobbies and your money and your schedule, all these things are acts of worship that we are to give worth back to God in and through these things. And I pray that you would see that God does love me. And because of that, I'm going to worship Him and live my life for Him. But we cannot let what happens to Israel happen to you and I. They said every time something bad comes up with the nation of Israel, they think that God has forgotten them and they want to return back to Egypt. That is why the cross of Jesus, the empty grave of Christ, is so important. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is a daily, daily reminder that in the midst of no matter what you're going through, what you're facing, that God does love you. That He is concerned for you. Because there's no greater way for God to go, I love you, I'm concerned for you, than to have His one and only Son Jesus come and die in your place for your sins. So that in Christ, in His resurrection, that you can have a newness of life, be reconciled back to God. And so every day you sit back and go, God doesn't know me. He doesn't care about me. You look at the cross. You look at the empty grave. You go, He did that because He loves me. Because He does know me. Because He is concerned for me. And if God has done that for you, when you were rebelling against Him, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5, how much more will He do for you now when you're reconciled and redeemed for Him, with Him? Friends, Moses lived as though God did not care about him. And Moses lived in a way that he showed that he didn't have much reverence for the Lord either. Until Moses had a change of heart. And his change of heart was him realizing that God did care. I pray that today would be a day that you realize that the Lord does know you and care for you. And that it would drive you, push you, energize you to live a life that shows that you love the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the love and the concern that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and on our lives. Lord, remind us of the concern you have for us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to live a life of, live a life of worship to and for you, Lord. We give this to you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.